Hello and welcome to the Get MKD podcast. My name is Marcus K. Dowling. As promised, I've seen you soon before I saw you later. Welcome. I'm a creator, curator, innovator, and iconoclast. On this show, in 30 minutes or less, we solve for a future we love by obsessing over the past and appreciating the present. In this episode, we discuss the future of online journalism and the democratization of information. Now that we've set the stage, here's a bit of backstory. I've been online as an active user of the internet for this year, 30 years. Gone online on America Online in around actually 1991 or so. Uh, There was a brief dalliance with uh, Prodigy in there as well, and as also just uh, doing some things in middle school too. But it's been 30 years. It's been 30 years since I was able to access information via the internet. Uh, In the early days, there were FAQs that were available online that provided all the information you read to on the internet. And... uh, From there, we should have known that the idea of placing information online was going to be problematic. Uh, And as this episode moves on, this will make more sense, but it's all tied into the notion of the ballad of John Henry's hammer. I tie all online creation to the story of John Henry, uh, who was an African-American folk hero who was said to work as hard as a steel driving man driving uh, steel drills into rock to make holes for explosives to create railroad tunnels. According to legend, John Henry's prowess as a steel driver was measured in a race against a steel power, a steam-powered hammer, a race that as stories tell, he won only to die in victory with hammer in hand as his heart gave out from stress. It's a lot like being a content creator on the internet, I feel. Somebody who does it professionally and who has, especially for 13 years, there's this notion that you're just typing and typing and typing and typing and inputting and creating. Uh, Move this into the realm of Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, what have you. And there's a sense that that is entirely based in truth that you could be creating uh, for for minimal revenue against the amount of stress and and agita tied to the work. I wrote a piece in 2017, long before anybody thought this was an issue in 2021, for Medium called, Do Writers Get Rewarded for Their Steam? Digital Half-Lives, and The Legend of John Henry's Keyboard. And I said, in a congruous personal point to all things John Henry's heart giving out while trying to keep up the pace with the steam-powered hammer, the industry of writing about music, which is what I do professionally, is only commensurate to the price per unit worth of music itself. In the digital era, that rate has fallen roughly 52% between 1999 and 2014. Extrapolating for the future, this means that we're looking at a full-scale industry fallout somewhere between 2023, that's just two years from now, and 2030. Yes, streaming is on the rise, 
But if streaming mirrors the download era as a trend, downloading's two-year boost followed by seven-year decline could easily mirror in streaming as a one-year gain followed by a 15-year slide into obsolescence. I say this only to say that we're in an era currently where the music industry likes to tell us that streaming is going to ultimately save the day. Uh, Spotify has seen an exorbitant rise in the number of streams that has allowed the music industry to recoup a great deal of its lost revenue from the mid of 2000s to the present day. Uh, they're roughly around maybe a quarter and a half of what their revenue heights were in and around the turn of the 21st century. However, we've also seen a rise in the amount of music that artists are putting out. Uh, there's some great stats somewhere along in the grand, advanced, vast expanse of the internet that showcases just how many songs people don't listen to on Spotify. I would give that number to you, but I'm sure that it's multiplied since the last time it was calculated, exorbitantly. I do a lot of work in country music, and every day I wake up and there's you know an artist like a Kane Brown or a Sam Hunt or Kelsey Ballerini or Thomas Rhett or somebody who has decided that they're going to put out three new songs. They're going to put out a whole EP and they have a whole bunch of songs that they're going to preview on their social media just to give their fans a sense of what could possibly be coming. So in the midst of over-inundation of our eardrums with music, at some point we lose interest. I mean, it's natural human nature. So because we lose interest, we also then lose interest in streaming, which because we lose interest in streaming, we lose revenue potential for the music industry, which then falls back on people like myself who write about music. And we see our earning potential dive precipitously. The unfortunate thing about that is that the writing about music, the industry of journalism, is one that I feel is essential to understanding the notion of freedom and understanding the notion of free expression. Uh, giving people the ability to, number one, express themselves, number two, express themselves with a level of certitude and quality and as well, these opinions and facts being engaged in with respectable, commonplace conversation then creates a plethora of opinions which allows for the decision, yes, no, maybe, as to what's good, what's bad, and what's in between. And from there you get, you know, just literally the notion of billboard record charts of every you know, sort and kind imaginable. So therefore, music journalism is pretty damn important. And if people aren't getting paid to do music journalism, then they're just not going to do it. And again, it's something that's essential, so it has to be done, or should be done. But if logic and mathematics hold, hold court here and hold firm, then that doesn't need to occur. And there's a possibility that Music journalism and journalism in general could exist, but it could be existing at a rapidly depreciating half-life to its ability to allow for people to earn a living wage. 
Now, in regards to thinking about where this goes, I want to read back into this article and say, it's true that nothing lasts forever. However, because the digital age feels like it's consuming content businesses and entire industries at a rate faster than ever, forever isn't even a mighty long time anymore. So yes, this does mean, as Prince would say, that we should talk to our medical profession, professional in preparation. You know the one in Beverly Hills. God damn it, he'll tell you that it's all right. Because there's definitely crazy times ahead. At some point in the very near future, mind you, I wrote this in 2017, a naked and standing Amber Rose will host ESPN Sports Center, and CNN will one-up that by one day later, having Hatsune Miku as the first ever 24-hour-a-day Vocaloid news anchor. As far as what they'll say or if it matters, well, the weekend's biggest news story was something making an anti-CNN meme out of Donald Trump assaulting Vince McMahon after a match at WrestleMania 20, wherein McMahon would get his head shaved bald. So there's that. If you look at where we are right now, that piece of information resonates far too strongly with a situation in which Donald Trump is the former president of the United States, is experiencing his second impeachment trial in 12 months. 12 months! It's just unconscionable and literally doesn't make any sense. But we're at a place where because of the nature of the news cycle, to take this to a political level, there's a notion that Donald Trump, in order to retain some level of relevancy and uh, the social media that he was courting as his guide of public opinion, needed to do something so radical as potentially stir his followers to an insurrection in order to retain pop culture relevancy. And this is where we are. We've pile-driven an entire industry into the ground. So as far as thoughts as to what this means for the future, if you haven't already put this together, we'll dive deeper into this after this commercial break. Interested in recording a podcast like GetMKD? Well, it's as easy as pressing a button on your phone. Just like I did, you can download Anchor, a free app with creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast for you to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Everything you need to make a podcast is available in one place. Download the free Anchor app today or go to anchor.fm to get started. So we're back. At present, um, full disclosure, I routinely contribute, which means, you know, once every other month or once every quarter, to 15 different sites across the internet to earn what I would say is a living wage that is commensurate to living in Washington, D.C., which is one of the five most difficult cities on an economic standpoint to live in in America. Ultimately, this means that I'm crazy. And I probably need to be beaten upside the head with sticks for attempting this lifestyle at this time. 
Of course, we're also in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. So the fact that I do get to sit inside for most of my days and I can sit right at this, this keyboard as I am right now and write the days away is ultimately beneficial. But I oftentimes think, am I doubling down on the potential for eventual social depression that could occur because of the fact that I've turned my passion for music and my love of writing into a career, which then because of the coronavirus pandemic has afforded me the opportunity to only work every single day, if only because that's literally the only thing that will keep me with great certainty alive, kicking and breathing. I know it's a heavy thought. I know it's a lot. I know that this is a podcast and you probably are tuning in for something. I mean, you know, it's me. So, you know, it's going to be a little heavy, but that's probably way too heavy for you. But it's my podcast, my rules. So you get to listen. <sighs> the idea that maybe we've gone too far in journalism and that maybe there's too many spaces and too many words and there's not enough commerce to balance the number of words that are written about the commerce, that it ultimately depreciates everything from any great number of standpoints, from an economic standpoint to a social standpoint to a humanistic standpoint, is entirely true. What does that mean in the end? Uh, my thinking initially years ago when I wrote the piece that I've referred to numerous times in this podcast was that we'd reach an absolute zero and then we'd have to move it to the patronage model and ultimately ask people to dig into their pockets and to literally pay writers dollars what they used to earn careers to do. Now, of course, with Substack and with Medium on some level and also with Patreon, and if you're a content creator not of the written word, but if other means, then places like OnlyFans and so on and so forth. And that's where we are. But that does nothing for overall super large journalism. And that's where the, the, the trouble comes in. Because in order to sustain what, we're, what we've essentially driven into the ground, we are now looking to corporate benefactors to be able to create salvation for the journalistic industry. Uh, America's newspaper of note, the Washington Post, is, read, is owned by Amazon.com's Jeff Bezos. So therefore, the place that controls our commerce is the same place that controls our media. When we say such things about Sinclair Broadcasting, the noted conservative arm that controls a great number of broadcast television outlets across the country, we immediately go into a caterwauling cry of anti-conservatism because Sinclair has a conservative agenda. Oftentimes ponder, what if we reached a point where Amazon's already prodigious income stalls 
and Amazon decides to flood the Washington Post with advertisements for Amazon Prime memberships or advertisements for whole food, whole food sales or even deeper. What if we started to advocate for Amazon's in-house brand of products instead of a more democratized marketplace? Would we say we have to have the same hue and cry? If people who had a hue and cry about that were to yell and scream, then we would be barking up the same tree we did during the insurrection because you'd have a lot of conservative people making what is ultimately a very logical point about the separation of church and state and the separation of commerce and free market economy and for separation of socialized labor and free market economies and so on and so forth. Again, it's a lot to think about, but it's important to think about because this is what we've done to journalism. This is what we've done in this marketplace. And what happens then to the value of good journalism is that it's rapidly superseded by this democratization that comes across the, the, the space when there's no way to use worth or the assignment of worth to be a determining factor as to which writers and which words and which perspectives get to dominate the news space or get to dominate the opinion realm? On one level, that's actually a beneficial thing in the sense that you allow for a plethora of ideals and you start to get a more broadened and nuanced social cultural landscape. However, there's also the idea that if we do so, that we allow for such a plethora of opinions that even the mere notion of opinion becomes devalued. Uh, there's again, to tie back to the insurrection, if there's any one thing I learned from the insurrection, it's the fact that we are, we have basically placed in a dead heat, Socratic thought and QAnon. So, <laughs> If you want a real sense of the dire nature of the ideal notion of American Americanism that is tied to this conversation about journalism, it's right there. This is a dizzying time. Whole industries that once existed no longer exist. Uh, and the thing is, is that coronavirus or not, we were already on the same path. So the coronavirus, COVID-19, it ultimately hastened the decline and demise of global economics. Whole industries don't exist anymore. Whole businesses don't exist anymore. Long-standing businesses and industries that are the tent post frame of the American ideal are either savagely damaged, never to return the same, or entirely irrelevant. 
journalism. The most educated, once the most educated and vaunted of industries is on that list. And thinking about what that means for the future, the quote unquote dumbing down of America is, is not a quote unquote anymore. It's a thing that's aggressively happening second by second, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. And there is no solution for this. As much as you want there to be a solution, as much as you want there to be a space for people to think and do and act in manners that allow for conservative thought, progressive thought, mainstream thought, middle of the road idealism to all occupy the same realm. They don't anymore because there's no opportunity cost or opportunity value rather and even having the most pedestrian of thoughts. As far as losing journalism and being a journalist, it's a crazy time. I am blessed and lucky to have found uh, solace and comfort in journalistic exploits that align well with my hopes and dreams and aspirations I had when I started to write 13 years ago. I am very much in the minority. I am hopeful to remain in that minority of people who have still bravely discovered success as a journalist in the midst of the profession's most rapid decline. Again, I know there's a lot to think about, but it's worth thinking about. If you're looking to find me, Marcus K. Dowling, on social media, you can look for me at, at Marcus with a C, K. Dowling, D-O-W-L-I-N-G, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Furthermore, you can find the Get MKD podcast at, uh, at Get MKD on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, if you want to just hear more episodes of this podcast, uh, give us a like, give us a follow, uh, play along at home via Spotify and Anchor and Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, across the listening landscape. Once again, I'll see you soon before I see you later. Have a lovely day.